0: They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
2: Welcome to episode 240 of the DFO Rundown brought to you by Batano 19+. Please play responsibly. The game starts now with batano.ca. I have Jason Greger alongside uh, Frank Saravalli as we are uh, a few days away from uh, medicals for NHL teams. And then the uh, Finally. training camp will be on the ice on Thursday. But, uh, Frank, obviously the uh, the big story in the National Hockey League right now is that um, uh, Mike Babcock uh, resigns, which is the polite way of saying he, I think he got fired by the Columbus Blue Jackets um, for inappropriate uh, Actions by the head coach, a guy with a history of being essentially a bully. Let's call a spade a spade. And, um, you know what? uh, Columbus now, they'll they'll try to regroup here in 72 hours before the season starts. Good luck. uh, You know, what do you make of this story?
3: Well, it was one that really kind of developed, um, I'd say, in the 24 hours after this incident came to light by Paul Bissonette and the Spit and Chicklets crew. Um, it was kind of then that and good on the players, those that stepped up and spoke honestly to uh the NHLPA and Ron Hainsey, who I think was part of the guy, you know, part of the group leading um, you know, the investigation into those allegations. That essentially my understanding is, and I think there, you know, it's more to it than than how I explain it. There's a lot of nuance, and also I think. Some things that were bubbling under the surface, in addition to this story that came out, was essentially that for some of the veteran players, it really wasn't that uncomfortable of an experience. That it may have been way more along the lines of exactly how Johnny Gaudreau explained it or how Boone Jenner said it was in the statement. It was the younger players that are in the blue jackets organization that were essentially intimidated and bullied in this situation by Mike Babcock. And, and it was more as it was explained to me and not fact or gospel was that they were essentially told, you know, turn over your phone. And then in front of them, Mike Babcock scrolled through it for a number of minutes at his own sort of leisure and then handed it back to them and was like, Oh, I see as if, you know, looking through their camera roll, you can get a sense of what kind of uh, person or player they are. So I think it was that part of it, the power and control that really left the players feeling uncomfortable. And look, the fact that we're even having this discussion, Mike Babcock was hired three months ago. And with the allegations that had been lingering out there and really not So much for me, the Mitch Marner stuff that was, you know, that story that was relayed that everyone heard about, you know, ranking your teammates. It was really part of it, like the Johan Franzen stuff and all the other things that were lingering out there that Mike Babcock needed to be squeaky clean. And he wasn't. And now the Blue Jackets season has been plunged into chaos before it's even begun. And for me... I go back to the guy who made the decision to hire him. You know, like, let's have an honest conversation about Yarmo Kekalainen and his tenure, a hire that he needed to get right, that he sort of waved the middle finger at those allegations that had previously been out there and said, no, this is the guy we're hiring. And it blows up in his face. After 10 years and one playoff series win... With Mike Babcock out the door, why isn't Yarmo Kekalainen following him?
2: Yeah, I, I would say this about Babcock. Babcock um, is a fantastic wolf in sheep's clothing. This has been proven, and how he acted to the veterans and Johnny Gaudreau and Boone Jenner, and oh, hey guys, here's my family. Let's see your family. And people are like, oh, that's normal. The guys trying to communicate. Why? Because he's not an idiot. He knows that he has to have the veterans on his side. But he can't help himself. So he's got to try to intimidate the young players. And this is exactly what bullies and predators and psychopaths do. That's how they act. They to some people they will look like, oh man, like think about it. Like, look at the history of people when, when they come out and do egregious things. And someone's like, Well, he was a really nice guy. Babcock knows how to manipulate people. So he'll tell the people that he has to, that he knows, geez, I have to have them on my side. He'll give them the nice guy routine. And then he goes after a young Mitch Marner. He didn't ask Nazem Kadri or any veterans who was the hardest worker. It was all about Kadri. And then the thing about Babcock, if you recall, his comments after that came to light was like, well, I was trying to focus on work ethic for Mitch. Clearly, it didn't go well. And then even today, look at his statement yesterday. I'm going to read it. Cause it's, uh, I'm so upon- glad
3: you're doing this because we didn't talk about this beforehand, and I just finished a column for dailyfaceoff.com that actually delved into the statement from both Kekalainen and Babcock. So go ahead and read it.
2: Yeah, so here's, here's the statement from Babcock. Upon reflection, it has become clear that continuing as head coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets is going to be too much of a distraction. Well, I'm disappointed to not have had the opportunity to continue the work we've begun. I know it's in the best interest of the organization for me to step away at this time. I wish everyone in the organization well in the upcoming season. Like, no offense, make me gag. There is zero accountability from a guy who doesn't want accountability. Remember all the things he said when he got hired. Oh, he brought in his daughter to try to relate to people. Oh, my daughter told me how tone matters and and I really have to soften things. And I've learned how to be a better communicator. It's BS, it's bullshit, okay? Because actions have proven it's bullshit. And the NHL has chosen like, and not just the NHL, because look at how many people, when Paul Bissonnette came out and with his report, and then Babcock's statement came out and people like, see, Bissonnette's lying. Now here's the thing. You might not like Paul Bissonnette and the Spitting Chicklets guys because they can be crass at times, right? Some of their stuff can border on misogyny at times. There's no question about that. But tell me when he's ever lied. Has he what, ever... what would be
3: his reason for lying? Like, yeah, that's, like were... what, well, I, yeah. that's the part that I kept coming back to was, what does he get out of this Nothing. by making it up?
2: He told the truth.
3: And there and, was and no think... chance that he was. I knew as soon as he came out that he had the goods or yeah. else he wouldn't stake his own reputation on it. And there's a lot to lose. It's not just the reputation of the podcast. It's also his work on TNT as a national broadcaster.
2: Yeah, and, and his relationship with the players. Like it's clear, you know what? He's he's not a good guy like you, Frank. He's not an insider to break trades or anything, but he is somebody who the players they trust him. They, you know, he's obviously got a lot of good insight from players. And I give him credit, he was willing to dig in after he got some text messages and say, okay, let's find out what this is. But here's the thing go back to Mike Commodore, Mark Fraser, who's highly respected. And those guys have said Babcock is a piece of shit as a coach and how he treated a lot of players and people didn't want to believe it. And before the season even began, he had to take a meeting that was uh, allegedly off of um, away from the rink. This was not a team outing Frank, where you're going to play bowling, right? Or you're going golfing to get to know each other. He made this meeting off of the uh, property of the organization. Why? Cause he didn't want them to see it. Why? Cause he knew it wasn't right, but he can't control himself because he's power hungry. And okay. you know what? This is, uh, the, the Blue Jacket should, should be sending Bisonette a gift basket because at least he went out there. And kudos to Marty Walsh and the Players Association. Yeah, and uh, as, as you mentioned the uh, all of the investigation they did because this stuff, it, and people will say it doesn't matter. Of course it matters. You should not, no, I don't care who you are. You can't have somebody say, let me see your phone. Like just for instance, Let's say you're a 21-year-old player, you've been in a three-year relationship with your girlfriend. Maybe she sent you a picture of she's wearing lingerie or something, and that's between you two adults. There's nothing wrong with that. Doesn't okay. matter what it is, none yes. of it
3: has anything to do it's with how, how you are as a hockey player.
2: Yeah. Like what if what if one of the players was gay and he has pictures of him and he doesn't want anybody to know? Well, right? Like that's you know, his private stuff. You don't just all get all to problems. ask for it. It's bullshit. It was
3: power, yeah, it was power and control um that really is what is alarming. And so you mentioned the statement from, from Babcock's angle as if we're going to go through this spin cycle and believe that he's somehow noble enough to fall on the sword for the team. But how about the statement before that from Jarmo Kekalainen, which yeah. said he he actually thanked Mike Babcock for yeah. his hard work, which, as we just detailed, included snooping through players' phones. Yeah, And then for his professionalism in agreeing to step down and cooperate in the process. Professionalism, if he had any, he would still be employed. Yeah. Has yeah gonna, so I'm wait, so, so, so like, let's unpack this for a second because usually I'm one of those people that when I read a press release as a journalist, having been around this league for 15 years, most of the time I just scroll past it and my eyes glaze over because it's boilerplate statement that's usually scripted by a a PR director that just gets, you know, the executive's voice out there. Yeah. And to me, what this statement told me, first off, it reeked of defiance. Yeah. Well, what it told me, if you really read between the lines, is that Yarmo Kekalainen and the Blue Jackets don't care. They don't care about you as a player. And the reason I say that is because there was no apology in here from Mike Babcock, no denouncement of his actions, yeah. and certainly no strongly worded statement from Yarmo Kekalainen that that type of behavior will not be tolerated in his organization. No. What, what's up with that?
2: It's a great question, Frank. Um, and it's That's one that. That's not
3: leadership. I'm sorry. No. It is. Yeah,
2: there. Nowhere. Was there anything suggesting a statement from the organization or, or, or Babcock that he did anything wrong? Nowhere. Nothing. And so guess what? Now it falls on the players who, in, in this case, who, now a victim might be too strong of a word because I don't want to discredit victims of, of abuse and sexual assault or anything, but it's still a victim of intimidation, I guess. That's fair. And now they're the ones that are going to have to be put forth, and they're going to have to answer all the questions about it. Right there. well, you know, did did was it you? Was it you? And that that's not how it should be. The GM should have stood up and, and taken away all the pressure from his young players to say, "Yeah, this is embarrassing. I'm embarrassed that uh, under my watch, I hired a guy and this is how he acted before training camp even began." That would have been the right thing to say, but it wasn't. And so, um, you know, now I, I feel sorry for the uh, the Blue Jackets young players. As you mentioned, Frank, do they really feel like their GM has their back? And, and then now you have an assistant coach who has to come in and he's got 72 hours and, and maybe like, maybe he will, uh, um, you know, uh, Pascal Vincent, who of course is, you know, has some head coaching experience at the HL level and stuff, but still usually coaches spend all summer game planning, what they're going to do. And they have a whiteboard and some lines and, you know, maybe work with Babcock, but maybe they don't always agree on everything. No assistant coach wants to do everything the head coach does. So. Now is his first ever NHL coaching gig will come with 72 hours of preparation.
3: Certainly an unenviable position to, to be in if you're Pascal Vincent, who by all accounts is a really good coach. And I think was highly thought of around the NHL. It's a tough hand to get dealt. Um, I think that's the other thing I keep coming back to here. You know, the statement is one thing, the defiance Uh, I think the Blue Jackets were actually pretty combative in this process. Um, You know, basically getting to uh, where they got to on Sunday with the resignation. The NHLPA had the goods. Like, they had the evidence, and it could have gotten ugly had the Blue Jackets continued to fight. Uh, They eventually had to relent. And I think when you you consider the grand scheme of everything – this was, as mentioned, a hire that Keck and had to get right. The Blue Jackets had 59 points last year. That's 12 worse than their first inaugural season as a franchise. It's <laughs> it's about as bad as it gets. And but, yet, that was a year in which the Blue Jackets spent $84 million in free agency on Johnny Gaudreau and Eric Ed Branson. And And now, to get this right, he could have hired anyone on the planet. There was a Stanley Cup champion and serial winner out there in Peter Laviolette. He's taken three different franchises to the Stanley Cup final. There was a two-time AHL coach of the year in Mitch Love available. There's plenty of other up-and-comers. So if you stick your neck out, as mentioned, and you give the middle finger to anyone who's made these allegations previously, and you do it, and he doesn't make it to training camp. My point is there, there should just be further consequences than just Mike Babcock. His head shouldn't be the only one that's rolling. Yeah,
2: that, that's totally fair. I would like to add one other thing that I do think um, if we, I'm a big believer in, you know, life lessons for lots of different things. And when I watched how people attack Bisonette, who was basically speaking up on behalf of the players who felt uncomfortable, to me, and, and think about this. He spoke up about a guy looking at his phone, right? That is, you know, you shouldn't do it. But those players aren't going to have emotional scars for the rest of their life from this, right? Like, And something that, in, in the scale of of egregious things in life, that's something that people were just, oh, Beast, they're trying to discredit Bissonnette instantly. And the players, oh, they're soft. He's lying. He's trying to get ratings. Now, To to... And it's not a a fair comparison, Frank, but it it shows you why people who are victims of abuse and sexual abuse rarely go public. Think about how B. Sinet was treated to something that, oh, by the way, was factual and 100% true. Because most people don't want to believe that people like Babcock and others can be that bad of people. It's human nature to, well, geez, nobody could do something like that. Nobody could ever uh, abuse a kid or rape a woman or rape a man. We would never think of it. And and we as society need to take a step back and be like, you know what? We might have to start listening to people. And don't give me the, well, there's false accusations. Because that's been proven it's like 00.1% of the time. And we need to do a better job of listening to people when they speak up. Because I give B's nasty credit. Like, even when people try to discredit him, he said, screw off. He went back at and he says, Babs is full of you-know-what. And, uh, you know, he called him out again. And I give him credit for that, right? Now, he wasn't the one that was uh, being abused, but he stood up for those who were being intimidated. And I think, you know, and he still was lambasted by a lot of people. And there's some people that we should look in the mirror today to be like, hmm, I might want to rethink how I act sometimes when somebody comes out and says something rather than be, well. I'm, and, and they were trusting Mike Babcock, Frank who has a track record and a history of being an intimidating bully.
1: Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new custom spray five-in-one gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves – without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from rust
4: Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host You
2: are preaching to the converted. So it's just food for thought. So you know what though? Strange way. Like go to good
3: like I said, the other thing, good on Biz for speaking up and sticking with his story, cause it would be easy especially given the relationships that he has to say, you know what, this, you know, whatever, it's not worth it. I'm just going to buckle. He stuck with it, and good for him. He deserves all the praise for that because it's not easy to speak out. But also good on the players, especially the younger ones that spoke honestly in the investigation. Because it would have been super easy for them just trying to, uh, you know, to make it in the league to follow the way in which Boone Jenner did, which is the, uh, and not to say that he he lied or anything like that, but th- think about the unenviable position that Boone Jenner was in. He's the captain of the team. The, the organization is leaning on you in crisis to have their back, to back the guy that they hired. And you have to put your name on a statement that basically says that this was a gross mix- mischaracterization.
2: Well, and here's the thing, though, Frank, and I alluded I think Boone Jenner's statement could be 100% true because he was only talking about his meeting and his interaction. And at the time, because Babcock and this meeting, Cordelli Friedman, happened away from the facility, maybe Boone didn't know about it at the time, right? At the initial time, he might not have known about it. Like if he didn't text the young players to say, hey, did Babcock have a meeting with you? Because this is how it was to me. And he probably talked to the other veterans and Johnny Gaudreau like, like, no, no, this this is how it was. It wasn't a big deal. And so he didn't ask every player on the team. Maybe he didn't have time. But I think at times there can, his story can be truthful. But it's Babcock who lied. Look at Babcock's initial statement. He taught. He was the one who said he didn't mention, oh, you know, yeah, that's a gross misrepresentation. No, it wasn't. The story of Boone Jenner was true, that you, you guys exchange photos in a, in a normal way. That, that actually, I could see people doing that. But it was how you acted to the young players and Babcock's original statement, which was after this meeting, clearly was false and clearly was a lie because he didn't. He tried to cover up how he acted with the rookies Mm -hmm. or the I don't even know if they're rookies, the young players, because it wasn't just a rookie.
3: Shame.
2: Yeah. So, And uh, you know what? I I think eventually um, Johnny Gaudreau and others would have seen the real Mike Babcock. I think that's been proven. So in, in a strange way, this uh, this might work out better for them. It's going to be very difficult for Vincent uh, to start to to try to get things going. And they're in, a, they're in a tough conference. It's not like the Blue Jackets are loaded. But, you know, at least those young players aren't going to be skating on eggshells. Right? Yeah. Like they should, you know, and, and I hope, like Pascal Vincent, it's an, he kind of has to inherit the problem. Unfortunately, he didn't cause it. But now it's it's his problem to solve. And he's going to have to be a master communicator and talk. And, and I hope, he says something better and more reassuring to his players than the
3: GM and the parting coach did. Well, if my, if th- this is the point I made in my column too, um, if, if Yarmulkekeke aligned and thought that it was hard to recruit players before, just wait until they read between the lines of his statement, yeah. which essentially is, I, I don't care about you. I don't care about what your feelings are. I don't care what you think. And <laughs> I, I I just, so this is the guy that his his two, uh, two of his last three hires are John Tortorella and Mike Babcock. Not comparing the two, just saying it's pretty clear to me what kind of message he wants to send to his teams. Yeah.
2: Well, you wonder if, if Columbus ownership, which is very hands-off, Frank, if suddenly they decide, you know what, maybe we need to do a little bit more internal investigation here.
3: Like I said, that statement, I try not to, you know, put too much weight on it, but read between the lines. It's telling you something.
2: Didn't say anything. So, well, I wish everybody in Columbus uh, good luck. And uh, good news is uh, you don't have the wolf in sheep's clothing to be your head coach this Mm. season. Now, let's uh, move to some uh, other stories around the NHL, Frank. You know, the rookie camps are ongoing. And Adam Fantilli, that's the negative thing here about Columbus. Columbus fans are probably frothing at the mouth with excitement. If you saw it now, it's only a rookie tournament. But the guy was unreal. Connor Bedard was lighting it up for Chicago. And Fantilli had a pretty good first game, too, for the, uh, the Columbus Blue Jacket rookies as well. I understand it's only a rookie thing. But when you're a fan of a bad team, you need those type of things to give you hope. And, man, he looked pretty good.
3: You we, you want your guy to come in and dominate, yeah. And, that, and they and, did. And when you can when you consider and compare the competition, you hope that they would, but a definitive statement like that is that's how you do it.
2: Yeah. No. It was. It's been great, and you know now obviously you want to see them uh, up against NHL players. You know Columbus desperately could use Fantilli, and I've said this all along, man. It's hard to rely on an eighteen-year-old because if you're, and not, not to discount the 18 year old, it's just the NHL is, is usually a league that crushes teenagers. It's hard to be productive as a teenager. So uh, I wish them uh, all the best. Um, We did that PTO season. Frank is here. And there's lots of guys uh, on PTOs. You know, if you go down the, uh, the list of, you know, Nick Richie's in St. Louis and Danton Heinen's in Boston, Maxime Quan, Twan Edmonton, or sorry, Vegas, Edmonton has Ernie Gagne and Brandon Sutter. Uh, Noah Gregor's in Toronto. Colin White's in Pittsburgh. Zach Austin Reese is in Carolina. Um, Scott Harrington's in uh, in Anaheim. Austin Watson, Tampa. Alex Chase on Boston. Colorado has Saku uh, uh, Malinen as well as uh, Yola uh, Kiveranta. Um, I'm probably missing some. I think Nathan Bolio, Kiefer Bellows, Carolina. Like God, go down the list. There is a load. Of uh, of guys on PTO, I'm sure I'm missing uh, a few more. Uh, Jordy Ben in Dallas, Austin Wagner in, in Pittsburgh. Like this is this is a huge amount of uh, of uh, PTOs uh, for guys. I'm curious to see how many. Yeah, Pat Friendly's
3: got the list. Uh, yeah. th- there are a ton. Yeah,
2: and I think I think you're going to see some. I think you're going to see quite a few. I quite a few of these guys signed, and, and especially when you look at how many teams are are close to LTIR. Frank are going to go into LTIR. In some cases, it might come down to. Um, obviously teams that we know are going to start the season in LTIR, they're going to crunch their numbers and the contract of the guy, like they're you know going what, to wait
3: maybe, until they, you know, day yes. after the season starts to sign. Yeah.
2: Like some of them might get more than seven seventy-five because the team might be 900 away from the, from the cap ceiling and they want to get right to it. Right,
3: Whatever that number ends up being. Yeah. So, uh, you want to get easy. as close to the number as you can without going over.
2: Now, Phil Kessel has yet to sign a PTO. Maybe he's looking. I don't for a think contract he, I, I think
3: that's the plan. Is he's not doesn't have any interest in that. That there are still contract offers out there. I guess he's weighing one or two against another.
2: Oh, okay. So you think he might sign by Wednesday? Potentially. Yeah. Oh, well, it be.
3: I'd what like do to you see. Think Phil it, has uh, left. I, I. You know what?
2: It's a good question. Um, I'll be I'll be honest like I kind of want to see the the uh, the Ironman streak go Um, obviously he's got to play well for it to continue and I know he's come out publicly and said hey you know what like it doesn't matter and ultimately in, in the grand scheme of life like he's already played a thousand consecutive games <laughs> it's pretty impressive you know whether it's a thousand twenty or a thousand sixty I don't think it really changes from that standpoint yeah. but you know I, I look at Kessel and Last year, you know, hey, Vegas is a Stanley Cup winning team. And so maybe you're not good enough to play in a Stanley Cup winning team. But that doesn't mean you can't help, you know, maybe two-thirds of the other teams in the league because they're not Stanley Cup contending
3: teams. Yeah, I mean, look, a lot of teams could use 14 goals. That's the truth. Uh, Especially Um, for, what, a million bucks it's going to be? on Maybe less? Yeah, I mean, you're hard-pressed to get that kind of potential. I, I just... I guess my big thing is, can he keep up?
2: That's fair. Now, the other story you reported, Frank, was a uh, Colorado and goaltending. Yes. What are you, uh, what are you hearing?
3: Yeah. So I think they're, um, they're taking a, a long look at what their options are in net. Um, Pavel Francouz. the word that uh, GM Chris McFarlane used publicly when asked about it, he said the phrase, he said banged up. Um, My understanding is coming off of that adductor surgery that he had, um, in the off season in may that he just hasn't recovered. And I don't believe he's skating. Um, which obviously now on the eve of training camp is a big deal. And so they're looking at all their options. I I don't get the sense that the abs really want to spend a lot either in assets or in in price. Um, they're pretty confident that Georgiev can carry the load and 62 games played last year would seem to be a pretty good indication that he can. Um, so I think what they're going to do is either take a look at a team that has a surplus of net minders. And one team that immediately comes to mind for me is the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah. Um, or take a look at someone that's inevitably going to be waived because I mentioned this last pod that I think teams or the league needs to rework and look at the idea of, um, of allowing for a third goalie position. But like, again, he's not the end all be all, but look at Martin Jones. Who's with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, They're going wow. with Joe wall and Ilya Samsonov as their goalies. You have Martin Jones, who's signed to be the third guy at 875. I mean, he's going to have to pass through waivers to go down to the AHL, which is where he's going to be parked, barring an injury. And a guy like him is going to be up for grabs for free. So whether it's Martin Jones or whether it's one of the guys from the Canadians that we mentioned, you know, Casey DeSmith would seem to be a nice uh, piece to have as a backup. Uh, I think the point is from the Colorado perspective that they're not going to be going out to spend a lot.
4: Yeah.
2: Um, Now I I don't think that cap wise, but the the team that has an abundance of goaltenders is Carolina, Freddie Anderson, right? Kochkov and anti-Ranta. Now Ranta makes 1.5.
3: Yeah, but the difference is Kochetkov, ha- hes uh, not waiver exempt, or he is waiver exempt, I should say, and yeah. he can be sent down without waivers. So that's the reason why um, they. But he'd him count back.
2: against, but it, but he'd count against the cap because he's a two million dollar player, right? So you'd have almost nine hundred of, of stuff counted against the cap.
3: Yeah, and I think they're 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 basically they're saying that's their way of getting around the third goalie issue is saying we're, we don't mind spending 900000 on our cap, but we want, if we have to go, especially given the injury history to both Anderson and Ranta, Yeah, they're like, yeah, you know what? We're, we're comfortable designating 900000 on our cap because we want the best third guy available if he doesn't outright beat Ranta in training camp, which given the fact that they signed him to a four-year, $8 million deal, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility.
2: That's fair. Uh, Tyler, your is truck, um, is on his way home from... Um,
3: he went to the Bills home opener.
2: Yeah, the Jays and the Bills. And so we have uh, Gavin Turanek uh, joining us uh, today
5: on the pod. Mm-hmm. Gav, how you doing, my man? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, hit the links on Saturday. Watched some football on Sunday. Saw another Cowboys win. So all in all, a pretty good weekend. Oh, pretty Cowboys good weekend. Fans. I know. I know. I know. So so we're gonna skip. We're gonna we're gonna skip the uh, football hey, talk, Frank, because I know you're an Eagles fan. So we don't have to get too much yeah. into that. But yeah, they're both two, that and 0, guys. Guys both two and guys. Both two and Exactly. Exactly. They both they feel do. a little
3: bit different as two. They and do. 0. The Cowboys have walloped their opponents, and the Eagles have. have just kind of meandered ah, through a win. two
5: of them. wins a win you know like, like that opening week against new england was kind of suspect for you guys but it, it was a good son uh thursday night against many for you guys so yeah, was, yeah
3: we're
5: yeah we're living you guys will be okay i think you guys will be okay yeah but no i just want to hop into a little buy or sell um yeah so i'll be jumping into three future bets that our friends at batano have up so starting with the uh alex brinkett gold total odds um right now his gold total is set at 34 and a half a number he's actually only hit twice in his NHL career. So Frank, I want to ask you this first. Um, Are you buying or selling Alex or Brinkett over 34 and a half goals in this upcoming season with his new team, the Detroit Red Wings?
3: I am selling. Uh, He not only has he gone over twice, but he has blasted the over as a two time 40 goal scorer. So there certainly is the possibility, and I'm sure that he'll be playing with some top end talent in Detroit. Um, But for me, I, I think he's, he's going to settle in cl- closer to 30, 20. I, I see him somewhere between 28 and 32. Not really an exciting place to be. I hate, you know, betting the under, so to speak and rooting against. Him yeah. nice but... you short
5: to bet the under. Yeah, um, I exactly. <laughs> but
3: I, I'm going to say, I'm going to sell and say that he's under that.
2: I'm actually going to take uh, – I'm going to buy and go Ooh. over, as Frank mentions. He's hit it twice. He's had 32, 27, 28 goal seasons. Guy's pretty yeah. consistent goal scorer. Uh, also, I, I do think that the, uh, the Stutzel comments, which I really appreciate the honesty, might light a fire on him a little bit. And uh, in sure. Detroit, he's going to have the opportunity. He's probably going to play with Larkin, pretty good
5: passer. So I think he will be over 34. Awesome. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. So um, I want to jump over to the goalie conversation now. Um, so the top four favorites heading into the season to capture the Vezina trophy are obviously Vasilevsky, Halibut, Shosturkin, and Sorokin all coming in at plus 600. Uh, Jason, are you buying or selling that one of these netminders will be taking home the award? Or is there another name that you think will be able to get into the conversation by the end of the season?
2: Yeah, goalie positions from year to year. There's always a few, you know, not many people had Allmark winning the uh, Vezina last year, but I think Sorokin's do. Like if I had to pick one guy, I, I think uh, Sorokin, he had a really good year last year. Now, the problem is I'm not sure his team's going to score enough goals uh, for him to to be in the Vesna conversation. I'm not sure there'll be a playoff team. We'll find out. That might be on the cusp. But uh, I'm going to say I'm going to buy because I think this is uh, the year uh, Ilya Sorokin wins. Frank?
3: Uh, it's just such a fickle position, right? <laughs>
5: I'm going to buy as well. Yeah, there's always that one guy. There's always yeah. that one guy. Yeah, for sure. Okay, yeah. So, last one I've lined up here too is the Vancouver Canucks point total, which is currently set at 87.5, which obviously makes them a non-playoff team going to the year. Uh, so, Frank, I'll ask you this first. Um, are you buying or selling that 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 the uh, Vancouver Canucks can surpass their point total and maybe make a push for the playoffs this upcoming season?
3: So, I am picking the Vancouver Canucks to make the playoffs. So, I am going Ooh. to buy... Um, I think this team is going to compete with Rick Tockett as coach. Um, I think they're going to – and and compete, I don't say that lightly. I mean compete as in they were way too easy to play against the last few years. You've got to be dialed in, and I think Tockett will have them. I think uh, a full season of a healthy Thatcher Demko will make a big difference. I see Elias Pettersson taking the next step in his development – And I, you know, the tough part is having the conversation, Jay, that we've been having in the East the last few weeks of, okay, if they're in, who's out. But um, I I like the Canucks to take a big step forward this year.
2: Well, I'm going to take the over for sure, um, because they had 83 points last year. Uh, Demko didn't have a very good year. Obviously, that's had a terrible start. So I think they'll be better. Uh, I have them competing as a wild card team. I think they're going to push. I think Seattle is going to be hard pressed to, to match last season. Um, now they, they probably could be better um, defensively because they had awful goaltending. If you look at their team save percentage in Seattle last year, but um, are they are all those guys going to score across the board like they did? That's asking a lot. So um, sure. I think Seattle is is a team that's going to come to the pack a little bit. And uh, if Vancouver doesn't have any key injuries. I think they're definitely over 80, so 88 points, and will push for a wild card spot. I don't have them as a lock in the playoffs yet, but I have them as a a wild card contender.
3: But you had them in the playoffs last year.
2: Yes, I did. Yeah. So, like, My only
3: question is, is their defense good enough? But I think with a full season of Heronik, the addition of Susie and a steadying influence of Cole, that's what's kind of pushing me in that direction.
2: Yeah, well, I think Demko is the big one for me. I think Demko is going to be a lot better. Yeah, I think Demko's the number one. I mean, he, he,
3: he missed, what, half the season?
2: Yeah. So, And they still had 83 points. So I think the over is kind of easy there. But it, it comes down to, you know, like, how much of a regression are we going to see from Seattle? Like, Seattle didn't give up a lot of shots, man. Their defensive system was good. Their goaltending was terrible. And then their forwards, their depth scoring was fantastic. So... You know, if, if that continues, then I'm probably wrong on Seattle. So I'm, I'll make my decision after I see training camp on which one of those teams. And then the other one, Frank, is, is there a fourth team in the Central? Because I think we might see five no. teams from the Pacific this year. I, I think, think we're here.
3: definitely going to see five from the Pacific. I don't think there's a third team in, or a fourth yeah. team in the Central.
2: So you have Colorado, Dallas, and Minnesota.
3: Yes. Yeah. Okay.
5: Yeah. And you just mentioned Demko missing ha- nearly half the year. I just checked out. He only played 32 games last year. So obviously he's going to be a big part of the, big part of that team for the upcoming yes. season. So. Yeah. Okay. Awesome guys. Yeah. So a quick three hitter that we hit on the Alexa Brinkett, the Vezin Trophy and the Vancouver Point Total. And that is this week's edition of Buy or Sell. Thanks, Thanks Gavin. Gavin. Appreciate it. Hey, uh, so
3: you, you said one thing there that caught my ear. You said, um, I want to see how training camp goes. How often do you watch training camp or pay attention to preseason games and change your mind on a team? Well, a
2: lot of it is honestly, Frank is if there's any injuries right? It's more about the health factor. because. So I I was crunching numbers and I have an article coming out about defensemen and and the health of your blue line is a big factor in teams making the playoffs. 14 of the 16 teams who made the playoffs last year had five or six defensemen play at least 60 games. And in some cases they were playing 70 plus. Uh, The Orders actually had five defensemen play 80 plus games, the only team in the league. And so health on the blue line matters. Uh And I agree with your point about uh, Vancouver. If I have a question, like I assume Demko, it's the goalie position. He could be, you know, up and then he'll be back. Obviously health was a factor. But the question I have in Vancouver is their blue line. And so if they come out of the preseason and don't have any injuries in their blue line, like how's Horanik going to look uh, coming off his surgery and stuff? Then I'm probably leaning towards them. But that's, to me, I, I like to see it because injuries play such a big factor for teams. Like like the top, en- the top seven or eight teams, Frank, they could lose a guy and I still think they're going to make it. But it's those next, you know, 12 teams where one or two injuries will be the difference why some teams in and one team finishes 17.
3: Did you like the Quinn Hughes captaincy decision?
2: Yeah, I I think it's, well, it's good on two fronts. Like I think Elias Pettersson hasn't really committed to the organization, right? Um, Also, maybe his personality. I don't know. I don't know if
3: that's the first part is fair, by the way. Like
2: we we don't have a really good
3: sense yet of what the Canucks offered because had they offered a long-term deal that was befitting of the player, like he probably would have signed it.
2: Yeah, no, I agree with that. So the organization so him
3: hasn't committed to the organization.
2: Well, the organization hasn't committed to him. Then how about that?
3: Yeah, I'd say they're just negotiating.
2: Yeah, but at as of today, they haven't. So if you would name him captain, you could have put him in a real awkward position. Of now, he's like, well, geez, I'm the captain. I gotta, you know, like that. That kind of would be unfair pressure to say, hey, we're putting the screws to you, sign a contract. So I like I also that they just didn't don't do think
3: it was he was the right guy.
2: Yeah, well, that's true. Even too. if he
3: had an eight year deal.
2: Yeah. The best um, player Hughes, isn't always. No, I agree. The,
3: the best leader. And I'm not 100%. saying he's not a good leader. I'm just saying that he's definitely more of a subdued, quiet, introverted guy. And there's nothing yes. wrong with that at all. But that's the impression that I have. And what I like about Quinn Hughes is that I think he can grow into it.
2: Well, I'll, being a captain in the NHL, I've talked to guys who have done it. And what they thought it was going to be before being captain, and then what it was when they were captain was much more than they than they thought. Just because it's a lot of, you know, you're the go-between a lot of times with the coaching staff. But then you you really have to, to be a good captain, you really have to be aware of, what all the other guys in the room, how they're feeling, how they're doing. Like you have to be a good conversationalist with guys. And, you know, you can find out if maybe Bob all of a sudden, you know what, is his mom or dad are really sick and his head isn't in the, and it's been a challenge for him or so-and-so's girlfriend dumped him or whatever the conversation is. And they told me that that was, for some of them, was was quite a bit of a challenge, not a negative one, but it was just, it's bigger than just, oh, you wear the captain, so you show up, you work hard, you have a few speeches and that's it. It's much more intricate than that.
3: Is it so? So I guess reading between what you're saying, you're—is the position overblown?
2: No, I I don't think it's overblown. Well, it's overblown in one sense that the captain is like this one guy that made like Mark Messier was an exception, right? Like huge personality, great at it. But I think a lot of teams have a captain, but then they have really good, you know, associate captains, and some of those guys, like you, might have the associate captain who's better off. And is more suited to be the guy who can tear a strip off a teammate every now and then, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So I, I don't think it's overblown per se. I think you need a good leadership group of more. Like I don't think one player can just magically lead every team. Uh, you know what? Usually, a good captain delegates and has a good group of associates, and they do a lot of things together. Hmm. But I think so, if, you know, Quinn Hughes is you know now again, Frank. Until you're in the room, you don't know how guys. Like, you know, I've been in NHL rooms a lot, but I'm, I don't cover the Canucks closely. So, you know, how is Quinn Hughes's personality? I love what you said. Grow into it because what he is now, just like any other player, his age is going to be very different in one year and two years and three years. You just get more life experience and he learns, you know, you've how also to community- seen him grow a lot already. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Like, I think he's, he's one of their best players for sure. There's no question, but he's also one of the
3: 12 in- to 15 best defensemen in the league.
2: Yeah. He comes in though, Frank. As you mentioned, the last two years in Vancouver, there, there's been a lot of you know negativity. There's they've underwhelmed, I think. You know, they've gone through coaches all the time. So he's inheriting a team that doesn't have a lot of stability. And so there's going to be a little bit more pressure to try to help stabilize that, rightly or wrongly. I just think that as part as a captain, you're going to be looked upon to help stabilize that situation.
3: Huh. So I've gotten thinking about what you were saying about training camp and obviously avoiding injury is a big part of it and and being as healthy as possible, which is why we were talking about um, just a minute ago with Gavin why the Eagles looked like shit in week one is because (laughs) they didn't play their guys in the preseason like a lot of teams in the NFL. I I doubt that's going to be a huge trend just because of the – veteran requirement to to dress for preseason games in the nhl but it got me thinking of a larger question which teams are facing a critical training camp like which teams absolutely have to have a great camp and great start of the year vancouver is, is one Ottawa is another. Is there another team out there that you're looking at, saying I'm really going to be watching this team closely as camp opens this week? Well, see, for me,
2: I never put much stock into results in preseason because the especially the first five preseason games. Usually, it's a bunch of junior players and uh, you know some guys uh, turning pro the first year, guys who are going to go back to junior, and lots of guys who are AHL bound. Right, that's just a fact. Like you know, you look at the PTO list, Frank, and and how many guys you know will qualify for the veterans. And so some games, especially on the road, like those early road games, the home team dresses some of their good guys and the road team brings as minimal of their key players as they can. Right. You're just like, we don't want injuries. It's the last three preseason games. And two is usually when you start to see 80, 90% of of NHL rosters. And so I think it's more about a, the health of some teams, but just teams that feel like, okay, they got their new system. Like, I think there's a, a huge advantage for teams who have continuity. They don't have to come to camp. There's no time wasted on getting to used to a new system, right? Like, look at Columbus. Babcock had probably outlined how he wanted to play to the players leading up to it. And now Vincent might come in and, and be like, well, I don't want to play that way. This is how I want to play. And so the players are just like, what? Now we have to learn a whole second system in the offseason. And, and you have, what, realistically, two or three preseason games where maybe you play together, right? So it's. I, I think the bad teams... And the teams that have new coaches are the ones that need more from uh, preseason than teams who have established coaches and a lot of returning players. It's more so get through it healthy. Let's use the last two games to get our conditioning and everything up to speed. And then away we go.
3: But what about in a place where there's a coach that has been established that hasn't had success? And let, I mean, since we talked like about DJ, DJ Smith, that's exactly who I was getting at. <laughs> I mean, like, if you think about the Sens and and outside of, of Jarmo Kekalainen, you know, the, the the hot seat, I mean, this, oh, is, no this question. is year five for DJ Smith. Yes. And the Sens getting off to the start that they did last year and the years prior, like, it, it's become a theme. Like, yeah. the Sens didn't miss the playoffs last year in... March or April. they missed it when they started uh 6 12 and one. Yeah So you can't you can't recover from it. no. Not, so you, this, you, not in today's NHL that's you you go 6 12 and one the best you can do is like 85, 88 90 points. yeah that's not getting it done.
2: Yeah well so DJ Smith is the seventh longest tenured coach in the league. Um, Cooper, Sullivan, Bednar, Brindamore, Barube, and, uh, Todd McClellan. So I look at, I think St. Louis, uh, Craig Berube. What?
3: You know what the common thread between a lot of those guys that you read above them is, uh, they've all won Stanley cups, not all of them, but close. Yeah. Cooper, market, Sullivan, Bednar, yeah. Sullivan, Berube. Berube. Come on. And then you have yeah. DJ Smith, which one of these is not like the other.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and then below him, Sheldon Keefe, I think, you know, he just got an extension. I think they're in, you know, Toronto's a competitive team. Dean Evison in Minnesota, competitive team. Lindy Ruff in New Jersey, funny enough. Remember after, what was it, like a f- few games into the season? Fire Ruff, fire Ruff. And then New Jersey went on, on an absolute run. Um, you know, Don Granato, th- things seem to be trending up there. Dave Haxall just made the playoffs. Uh, Andre Turney, there's really no expectations in his second, starting his third year. And then all the other guys, Frank, are really just starting, like Marty St. Louis, Jay Woodcroft, the other guys over 100 games. And they, you know, Jay Woodcroft, I don't think is going anywhere in Edmonton. I don't think Marty's going anywhere in Montreal. So, and Andre comes,
3: just got an extension.
2: Yeah. So it comes down to teams like really outside of uh, DJ Smith's number one, I think maybe Craig Barube in St. Louis and possibly like, no one else after that I see as far as teams that were good. You know, the other teams that weren't good, most of their coaches are just starting their second season or they're yeah. starting their first year. So, yeah. do as a GM, want to pull the trigger on it and say, hey, well, our team isn't that good. I don't care who you are as a coach. If you don't have good players, you don't win. It's that simple. Ken Hitchcock said, you're only as good as your best players. Yep. So DJ Smith is the guy who falls into that category for sure.
3: Yeah, and and just on the subject of hot seats, not to go back to it again, we said Jarmo Kekalainen was on the hot seat before this season started on hiring Mike Babcock. Yeah, it just kind of adds to I, my mind is blown that he's not following Mike Babcock out the door.
2: Well, I'm guessing Ten
3: seasons, five playoff appearances, one series win. So that's you've made it as many times as you've missed. And you had a 59 point season last year.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I said when he hired Babcock, I thought that was going to be his last hire. Right. Because usually, you know what, they're struggling. And so in well, essence, not.
3: he just, he just promoted Pascal Vincent.
2: Yeah, but they didn't play any games. Right. It's a weird situation. Right. So, yeah, it's um, the only
3: time in NHL history that someone has a zero, zero and zero record and it's completely blemished.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, it's uh not, not a surprise, Frank. Let's, you know, for being honest here, it's uh, I don't think there was many people that were shocked that, oh, you mean Mike Babcock? Cross the line morally and ethically in a negative way. Whew. Stunner.
3: Yeah, just, but again, the guy who made the decision to hire him is still in charge.
2: Yeah, I'm guessing the ownership was like, man, we don't want to be paying out the GM and now you get it for a full year. But yeah, 20 games into the season, Frank, if Columbus isn't, uh, is off to a brutal start, I definitely think the uh, the seat will get a lot hotter for the GM. Yeah. Right, it's been a good pod, my man. Have yourself uh, a wonderful week and uh, we will chat with you uh, next week. We'll have actually, uh, next weekend is when uh, the first preseason games begin and uh, And then we'll we'll see what happens.
3: Two a week on the DFO Rundown.
2: All right, have a good one.
1: Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because rust new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from rust
4: Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science...